Hi, this is an audio recording of an online resilience practices class facilitated by Frank Baird on October 27th, 2021. The topic for this class is how challenging our assumptions makes room for resilience. This audio recording is made available to you free for your benefit and enjoyment. So hi, everybody. I'm Frank. Uh, I'm your host. We're going to talk about some resilience practices. Um, let me just get set up here. Um, and I'm back after two weeks. Uh, and I'll stay back. I'll never leave again. So let's start with what is resilience? So it's the capacity and the flexibility with which we meet life. And it's made up of interrelated and complementary skills. And we are going to practice. Oh, hold on one second. We are going to practice one of, explore and practice one of those skills tonight. And just a note that there are lots of ways to practice. Um, I, you know, I don't know if you've noticed that some people like to trademark their practices and they like to act as if it's the only or the best way to practice. And my view is there are lots of ways to practice. So I want to encourage you to experiment with these, play around with these and try all kinds of practices. The important part is that you find what works for you. So I want to say a bit about stress because many of us, most of us, come to these practices because we're feeling stressed or because we've got some suffering happening in our lives. So here's the key ingredients or some key things to think about stress. So the key to resilience is knowing when it's safe to rest. Because so often we don't pay attention to that. If we have a thought and it's an upsetting thought, it doesn't matter when that thought occurs, uh, whether that thought needs our immediate attention or action or not, we spend time with it and it has predictable effects. So one of the key things here about resilience is knowing, is it safe to rest? And then if it is, for example, like being in this class, it's safe enough to be in this class, right? And some people don't use the word safe. Some people feel like that's a bit dramatic, but I think at its core, really, it is about safety. Do I feel safe enough to do this right now? So to be in this class, circumstances in your life immediately have to be supportive of that, which means you wouldn't be here if it wasn't safe enough. So then the next part is resting effectively. And effective rest means restorative rest. So it's not a holding pattern, right? It's not the kind of thing where we just go, okay, I'm just going to maintain. Though sometimes that's what it feels like. But what you want in terms of effective rest is to feel restored, to have your battery charged again or charging. And then one of the strategies you can use is changing the focus from the stressor, the thing that's stressing us, to how we're meeting or responding to the stress. So there are things sometimes we can do to change the stressor, 
right, to change the circumstances. But sometimes we can't change it or we can't change it enough. But what we can do is if we redirect our attention to how am I meeting this stress? Am I responding to the stress or reacting? Can I shift from reacting to responding? This is where we're using the skills that I'm talking about. I can do something about that. I may not always be able to do enough about circumstances, but I can do something about my relationship to circumstances. And those are really, that's how we are um, practicing here. So the topic for tonight is challenging our assumptions. And I want to say a bit about how that is either the cause of resilience or the result of resilience, right? Because some of this... um, uh, by challenging our assumptions, we're able to shift things so that we can be more resilient. And sometimes by challenging our assumptions, uh-oh, I'm hearing myself. Uh, and sometimes by challenging our assumptions, oh, let me just do one more thing. Sometimes by challenging our assumptions, we... Um, I forget where I left off, if I was creating or the result of our practice, but it can go either way, right? And all that matters is that it's here. All that matters is that we're resilient and that we're flexible. So notice I'm also saying challenging our assumptions. I don't know about you, but it's really easy for me to challenge other people's assumptions or have a critique of the way they're thinking or feeling or doing things. And sometimes there's a place for that. Mostly not so much, right? We mostly run around acting as if we get to be the judge of the universe. And okay, but here in terms of like being resilient and growing, this is about challenging our assumptions. I think that's harder for most of us, right? Because in a way, challenging somebody else's assumptions or their way of thinking, feeling, or doing, we're not invested in it that much, but we are invested in how we feel about it. So by challenging our assumptions, that's where we can grow. That's where we can increase our resilience. And I'll tell you a bit about how we're going to do that. So why challenge our assumptions? So one of the things to think about an assumption is this. An assumption, we tend to think of that as a true thing, right? We take something as a truth. So here's how that truth gets established. It's either a generalization from previous experience. We all do that, right? There's a benefit to generalizing from our experience. We generalize and then we start to make predictions about future circumstances, situations, right? And it helps us do a shortcut. Instead of having to think through an entire thing, it helps us take a shortcut. And a lot of times that's beneficial. And sometimes it's not. So the key thing here is that an assumption is a generalization from a previous experience. And part of the challenge is, is it relevant here and now? Is this a truth? Is this happening here and now, not just a generalization from a previous experience? Another way assumptions operate is their expectations, right? That's the prediction I was mentioning, from a previous experience. Or sometimes our expectations are crafted from our preferences, 
Like we start to have an assumption, I'm assuming it's going to turn out this way because I want it to turn out that way. Um, you know, sometimes people will talk about pessimists and optimists, right? That a, a pessimist is going to expect it's going to turn out badly. And an optimist is going to expect it's going to turn out great. And then there are people who call themselves realists. Um, but I would say uh, often pessimists are the ones who claim that they're realists. But really, optimist or pessimist isn't any more accurate because both of those are um, a disposition prior to circumstances, right? So sometimes our expectations come from our preferences about something or stories we have about something. Like we haven't even actually directly experienced anything. We've heard a story about a thing. And then because it's a familiar story, here comes some circumstances that resonate with that story, that call that story to mind. And then we have some expectations and they show up as assumptions, and the other way assumptions can sometimes work is or are are as longings or hopes for reality. Like, I'd really like it to turn out this way, and I really hope it will turn out this way. And so sometimes that's not doesn't have the power of an assumption, but a lot of times we don't recognize that our longings, our hopes, are assumptions and not longings and hopes. At least if we recognize they were longings or hopes, we would have what I call more accurate perception. We'd recognize them for what they are, and then we can adjust accordingly so that we're in connection with that, rather than the assumption that this is true, this is real, and this is how it is. So I want to say some words about the word challenge. So some people like the word challenge. Some people think of challenge as like confrontational. And it can be confrontational, depending on how much, uh, say, resistance we have to exploring our assumptions. But some other ways of thinking about that is being curious about the assumptions. Being curious in this moment, in this literal moment, being able to be curious about what's going on and then be curious do I have any assumptions about what's going on? Or if I have assumptions about what's going on, can I be curious about what they are? Right? So another word you could use is question. I'm going to question what's going on. I'm going to question, uh, do I have any assumptions happening? I'm going to question what are those assumptions and are they true right here, right now? Some other words, again, finding a way that, um, supports your uh, willingness to do this, I'm making an inquiry into the present moment, an inquiry. Um, I really like play with, I think especially because so often when we come to these practices from a place of suffering, we're busy striving and being strident because we take it seriously. We take the ending of our suffering seriously and we should take the ending of our suffering seriously and our practice really benefits from some playfulness because playfulness has in it a kind of flexibility that both supports resilience, but it's also the cause and the effect of resilience. So playing with assumptions, I'm going to play around here and go, what's going on here? I'm going to play around with my curiosity or my questions or my uh, inquiry or my challenge you know, the difference between a challenge to a game of dodgeball and a challenge to war. 
Or I, I like playing with this word, though I hardly ever use it, interrogate, right? Uh, I think an interrogation is like really intense and mostly unpleasant. I guess if you're the interrogator, it's supposed to be more pleasant than if you're the one being interrogated. But, you know, from what we know about relationships is that interrogators suffer from their their means also. So interrogate might be a word you use if it feels like you're particularly reluctant to explore or uh, be curious or challenge your assumptions. So different words, right? Again, just like there are different ways of doing these practices, different words that can bring you to the practice. So really the challenge is what is right here, right now, and one of the ways I think of this is, does it need to be here? Does it need to be here? Some things have to be here because they're here. Some things don't necessarily have to be here. So my body is here, right? And um, uh, But depending on what I'm thinking, I may or may not need to pay attention to the thoughts that are happening right here, right now. If I'm paying attention to a list in my head of chores to be done later, I may not need to do that right now unless I feel compelled to do that or I'm not aware or intentional or paying attention to what I'm thinking or where my attention is. So here the challenge is really an invitation to go, what is right here, right now? And by asking that question, exploring that question, Part of what I'm going to get is what I call accurate perception. What's going on? What is here and where is it happening? It's going to happen in, really it happens in four places, but I put three because three is our experience, right? So the fourth place could be in the world around me, in my immediate environment. But really where it matters is, is my experience right now, is this a thought is this an emotion? Is this a sensation? Or a cluster of thoughts that bring up a cluster of emotions, that bring up a cluster of sensations? It doesn't matter how these get interrelated. They're all going to be part of the experience. But accurate perception helps you be more clear about what's going on. And if you want to do something about it, what to do something about so one of the things you might want to do is accept that this is what's happening. If what you want to do, though, is change, let's say you're having a, uh, uh, an experience of um, anxiety and you're wishing anxiety could change, then what you might do is notice where is anxiety happening for me right now. If it's happening a lot as thinking, there are some skills you can use and some strategies you can use to disengage from that thinking. Or if it's happening as body sensations, there are strategies or skills you can use to shift your relationship to what's happening so that you can ease the intensity of anxiety. Now, I'm saying skills because sometimes you may want to, you may recognize that I could use a skill here and not have it or not have it strong enough yet. So just being able to identify that you need a skill or could use a skill here isn't enough, but it's often the place you start with accurate perception. So there's what's happening 
Is it happening as a thought, an emotion, or a sensation? And then there's how I'm relating to it. Because how how we relate to our experience or the phenomena of our experience is pretty predictable. So sometimes this is called a feeling tone. So I'm experiencing something and it's pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. Some people say there is no neutral, that that really means I'm not paying attention or I don't really care. I, I like relating to neutral in that way. But the predictable thing we do with pleasant is we lean into it. We lean forward. We, we uh, recognize that we're enjoying it. We want to hold on to it. We want to amplify it. We want to make it last longer. And if something's unpleasant, we want to get away from it. We want to push it away. We want to avoid it. So we're always leaning in or leaning away from whatever the phenomena is we're experiencing. And often what that does is it starts with, uh, I want to call it the direct or raw experience of pleasant or unpleasant, but then we make a story about it, right? Pleasant or unpleasant becomes like it or don't like it. And then I like it or don't like it because, and then here's a story. I don't like that sensation because it um, hurts. I don't like that sensation because it reminds me of this icky thing that happened uh, at some other time in my life, right? Or I like this thing because it reminds me of my mom's cooking. Or I like this thing because it's just delightful to feel that warmth in my hands right now as I'm holding that cup of coffee, right? So we have a story about it, and the stories are where meaning is lodged or where we, um, where our assumptions get put. So one of the benefits of challenging our assumptions is it gets us access to our direct experience in this moment. We have clear perception in this moment. And it's really pre-meaning, pre-story, and pre-distortion. Meaning is inevitable, and the stories is stories is or are inevitable, right? That's what we do. But it's important to notice the difference between my raw, direct experience right now and the story I have about it. And because when we can't do that, that's when sometimes people use the word distortion. Because what I take to be reality is really a distortion of reality. Because I mistakenly thinking the story or the meaning I have is the thing in itself when the story or the meaning I have is about the thing. And one of the things that happens with meaning and stories is they have, I'm not sure about this word, I want to say durability. You can experience the meaning and the story even when you're not having the direct experience. So there's that's useful in some ways. It's not useful if what's happening is right here, right now. I'll use this as an example, right? Somebody is um, somebody's upset about something with me. They're angry with me. They're standing before me. They're expressing their anger in a particular way. And a couple of things are happening for me. I'm recognizing that they're angry and having intense emotions. I'm recognizing it's at, directed at me. Accurate perception there. And then I'm recognizing that it's unpleasant for me. Accurate perception there. I recognize that I'm wanting to get away from it. 
totally accurate perception. And then what I'm not doing is recognizing, though, that part of the reason I don't like this is it reminds me of my dad, right? So I'm not consciously thinking that, but it's like that experience is coming up in an unconscious way, and it's increasing my aversion that I'm not just hearing this person being angry or upset with me. I'm hearing some other important person in my life being angry or upset, or I'm anticipating a particular response or outcome. Say when my dad would get upset, one of the things he would do is scream and yell, and that's what I'm expecting is going to happen next. Or he would get mad and punish me, or, 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 right? There's an assumption there. This is going to go there, And maybe this will go there or not, but I have to say that uh, any punishment I get as an adult is not at all anything like the punishments I got as a kid, right? They might resonate for some people, but, you know, I I remember uh, thinking like for a lot of my life, like my 20s and 30s, I would uh, react to things with the same fear I had when I was in middle school, you know, where people will do things like, ew, you're ugly, like I'm anticipating people are going to say something like that to me. And it was a while before I consciously recognized mostly that doesn't happen to you as an adult. I mean, it's happening more these days because of social media. But in those days, pre-social media, right, it stopped happening in middle school. So it brings me to the present moment. And there is flexibility here that is both the ability to do the practice we're going to do in a moment, but also that results from the practice we're going to do. It gives us cognitive, emotional, and flexible, uh, I'm sorry, and physical flexibility. It's creative, which by nature has to be um, uh, flexible and playful. And again, you have to feel safe enough to be creative. And I also think it's courageous because being willing and able to explore yourself, your assumptions, how you're relating to the world. So many of us have these relentless inner critics that just make our lives and moods hideous, right? And so, so many of us are afraid to like examine ourselves Because even the word examine, right? Like instead of hang out with myself and get to know myself, right? It always feels like, ah, this is a dangerous thing because I'm going to discover something about me that that judge doesn't like. Or I already know something about me that that judge doesn't like. And we're just trying to get along. So I think it takes some courage to do this. But again, if you recognize that it already takes uh, creativity and flexibility that helps support courage because it doesn't feel like it's, I'm starting from scratch. So with that said, tonight's practice is challenging our assumptions. And let's get to the next slide. So if you are new to this practice, the easiest way to do it is to listen to the sound of my voice and Let's do it. So I invite you to find a comfortable posture and your eyes can be open or closed, whichever feels most comfortable to you. And what I'm going to do is provide some 
guidance during this practice, hear what I say and just notice what happens as I say these things. That's essentially the practice. So what you might start with is bringing attention to the space you're in. You might look around the space you're in. You know where you are. You got yourself there. But sometimes we don't particularly pay attention. So part of this practice is purposeful, mindful attention and acknowledgement. So looking around the space, just noticing you can see some things. I'm in this space. I like that internal dialogue, right? That's a, a, an affirmation or a confirmation for me. I'm in this space. And if your eyes are closed, you might hear into the space. These are the sounds I can hear in this space. And as best you can, be observant rather than judging. Probably what you'll notice is judgment happens pretty quickly. So then, if you can, let go of the judgment. So instead of, oh, there's a sound that I like or don't like, register, pleasant or unpleasant, and let go of that and let it be a sound. It's a sound that's happening here. Or if you look around the space, I see that thing. Maybe I like that thing, maybe I don't like that thing. Maybe that picture isn't quite straight on the wall. Right? Observing and letting go of any judgment, just for now. If you need to straighten the picture, you can do that later. Well, if you need to straighten it, you can do it right now. But the invitation here is, can I notice and let it be? So noticing I'm in a space. And then on purpose, again, this is purposefully moving my attention, shifting it, and noticing any thinking that's happening. And if you can, noticing thinking as a process. So not getting caught up in the content but instead noticing thinking is happening. You might think of it like this metaphor, which is you're standing on the shore beside a river, and the river are all these thoughts going by. And you're going to try not to get wet for right now. Try not to slip in. Try not to jump in. You just notice thoughts are happening. Thoughts are happening. And just for now, I don't have to do anything with them, to them, about them. Just for now, just noticing, being aware, thoughts are happening. And if you get splashed a little bit from that river... 
as best you can, going, okay, got splashed, got caught up in that thought, and then bringing your attention back to observing the process. Thinking is happening. And then on purpose, shifting attention and noticing if any emotions are happening. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. Maybe there's one, maybe there are different, more than one emotions happening. So as best you can, observing emotions happening, not necessarily getting caught up or snagged in them. You might register whether it's a pleasant or unpleasant emotional state. And as best you can, just noticing. Maybe there's some sadness happening. Maybe there's some happiness happening. Maybe some anxiety. Maybe some excitement. Maybe contentment or boredom. Just noticing any emotions that are happening. And then on purpose, shifting attention again and bringing it to the body and feeling any sensations that are happening in the body right now. You don't have to search for sensations. Just by bringing attention to the body, certain sensations will be pretty easy to notice. It's probably pretty easy to feel the places where your body makes contact with something. Either making contact with a chair or a cushion, maybe where your feet make contact with the floor. Maybe feeling the sensations happening in the palms of the hands and any other sensations that are happening. Just noticing, observing, sensations are happening. Sometimes you might notice that it is really easy for attention to go to unpleasant sensations or to linger on unpleasant situa uh, sensations or situations or to get caught or snagged. If what you notice is that attention gets caught or stuck on some sensation, 
as best you can, shift attention, widen it so that it's on a wider area of the body. Maybe the body in its entirety. Widening the focus of attention is a way of remembering to observe instead of getting caught up. Use that metaphor of standing next to a river. It's the difference between, oh, my shoe just got wet, and widening the focus of attention so that it includes all of you and a big expanse of the river from this side to the other side. You'll still feel the wet foot. You'll still feel whatever the sensation is, but the context for it is different. And that different context is one of the things that helps with observing rather than judging, rather than getting caught up, rather than getting lost. Sometimes practicing with an attention anchor or a meditation anchor is helpful. This is a place where you decide, I'm going to focus my attention. And when my attention goes anywhere else for any reason, as soon as I notice and remember, I will bring my attention back to this anchor. So you can use a variety of anchors, but today let's use breathing as the attention anchor. So bring attention to breathing and really connect with the felt sense of breathing. You might notice where it's easiest to feel this breath happening. For some people it's at the tip of the nose. They feel cool air entering the nostrils and warm air exiting. For some people, it's easiest to feel breathing happening at the back of the throat with each inhalation and each exhalation. For some, it's easiest to feel breathing happening with the rise and the fall of the chest. Or the rise and the fall of the belly. Or it might be a combination of these places or some other places. But use breathing as a place to focus attention. Or a place to restart the effort at paying attention. Let it be a place to rest attention. That just for now, just for the duration of this practice, or however long you can do it during the practice, nothing else 
needs to be done. Inevitably, attention will wander off or it'll get pulled away. A thought will pop up or call you again, or you'll hear a sound, or there'll be a physical sensation or an emotion. In terms of practice, that's not a problem. It's just a thing. It's just a thing happening. So if attention goes anywhere else, you just notice and acknowledge and then gently bring attention back to breathing, back to feeling breathing happening. You might notice, just for a moment right now, is your experience pleasant or unpleasant or neutral? So noticing this is the feeling tone of my experience, and then bringing attention back to breathing whether your experience in this moment is pleasant or unpleasant or neutral, deciding on purpose, just because you decided, I don't necessarily have to do anything about that. Not right now. I can let go of that and bring my attention back to breathing just because I decided to. It's sometimes easier said than done, but that's the practice over and over. Oh, something got my attention. Go get it. Bring it back to your anchor. Feel this breath happening right now. And so in this practice, you do this again and again. Tension goes somewhere. You gently bring it back. So what you're doing is bringing attention to your anchor. And as best you can, you're letting go of whatever else 
grabs on to your attention. Just for now, you don't have to pay attention to that thought. Just for now, you don't have to pay attention to that emotion or that sensation. Just for now, there's no need for a story or a meaning. They might be present. They probably are. You might be trying to let go of them just for this moment, just for this practice. That is the practice, developing the strength and the flexibility to let go of whatever isn't necessary in this moment and to be with whatever is, whatever is necessary in this moment. Whether you like it or don't like it, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant or neutral, as best you can, being with this moment just the way it is and just breathing. As we near the end of our practice for today, if you'd like, if it seems fitting to you, you might express some appreciation or gratitude to yourself for giving yourself this attention, for engaging in this practice. You might either just feel appreciation, or I like to use words at inner dialogue. You might silently say something to yourself like, thanks for hanging out with me, or I appreciate your attention, or something like, thank you for your time, or even just thank you. Thank you. And to conclude our practice for tonight, if your eyes are closed, you might open them, look around the space you're in, move your head around, shrug your shoulders, stretch, wiggle your fingers, wiggle your toes, yawn if you'd like. And this will conclude our practice for tonight. Thank you for your practice.